What's going on, everybody? It is, I'm going to go with the Eastern route thing since, or Eastern time zone, since that's Felix's thing. It is 930 Eastern. Felix is not here. He is, I believe, I'm just going to give it away. A little, little behind the scenes. I think he's doing stand-up comedy tonight, so good for him. Or he's working on it, doing some research. So he won't be with us tonight, I know, right? Because he's got a very dry sense of humor on this show. I'm, I'm very surprised by that. And Austin, we know, is, I mean, he's probably, I think if you guys have seen the recent pictures of Elon Musk looking like Gru from the Minions, pretty sure the other guy on that plane was Austin. So he is out with Elon Musk traveling the world. Hopefully they'll both be back next week. Moxley is here with me as always, and we have one of our CFF contributors, Brandon Sanders, with us. You can follow him at CFF University. He has been, I don't think you've ever been on Debbie Debate, have you? Nope, this is the debut. I did, uh, what was it, uh, Canton Bound? Uh, I got to do Campus Life, and I'll have the three in the bag, man. There you so go. I'm working my way through. That's like, uh, I believe when I listened to this on Campus Life, when Moxley was on there, that's like hosting, what is it, what is it, they talked about SNL five times or whatever? Like, yeah, that, SNL five times. Yeah. yeah, that's the holy trinity right there <laughs> if you're able to make it on all of them. I'm surprised. <clears throat> I thought Mike had you on, but I guess he did not. But I mean, you have some interesting stuff that you're going to tease for us tonight. But, but before we get into that, the freak list dropped today. It is probably one of the most intriguing pieces of content we have dropped at this site Matt Powell and David uh, at Big Wide Receiver Guy and Solving Football on Twitter, pretty much our recruiting team, and the rest of us help out, but they're really the ones who drive a lot of that. Absolutely killed it with this list. Moxley, kind of give everybody a little teaser of what they could be looking at if they go check this article out on the website. Yeah, this is an awesome piece of content that uh, Matt and David put together. Gives you 50 players, the guys who they think are just better than everybody else athletically. Um, across you know all skill positions they they really did their stuff here too they went 500 plus deep evaluating players and really determining what set separates dudes apart you know a guy like Cedric Baxter who I think we're all very high on at the running back position heading into uh next season he's he's already built he's 215 6-1 this this is an 86th percentile athlete um with a speed with a I think it ran 21.5 miles per hour like that's elite at a dude who who has that size, you get nuggets like that all over this article. It is really, really cool. And these are two guys who know their stuff. So just, I, I mean, it's, it's really incredible research. It's one of my favorite pieces for sure that we, we've put out as a, as a site. And I, I know cause I've seen the work that they do that they put a lot of time into this. Brandon, what about you? Anybody stand out to you on the freak list? And just to give, if uh, if you guys have not looked at it, there's 50 players on this. But as Moxley mentioned, I mean, they likely, I would not be surprised if you asked both of them, like, oh, yeah, we looked at, like, every single player in this recruiting class. Like, they dive really deep in to get all this information. Yeah, uh, shout out to Matt and David. Uh, absolute studs. I go to both of them for different metrics. Uh, it's come on the Future Freshman podcast, so I think like it's a, it's a great thing to have good tools when you're diving into the class as well. My favorite, number 39, uh, Cole Cabana. Only I've said this on Twitter, but my love of professional wrestling, as you can see behind me, merges in with uh, Michigan football. He is the son of a great Colt Cabana of professional wrestling. So it's cool to see the athleticism kind of come into play and see how great that Cole transcends when it comes to his athleticism, his speed, his track, as well as when uh, he's able to you know come in and play there. I think he's going to be a great fit. I see him kind of diving into that uh, <laughs> to the uh, Edwards role uh, once uh, Donovan Edwards kind of moves on. So uh, a great fit there. So go check out that article. It's one of my favorites to, to read here so far in the offseason. So. I never thought I'd see this comment. I don't know who this Austin guy is, but he really misses Austin. So we 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 miss him too for his lukewarm takes. Absolutely. Uh, which is actually probably a good thing. He's not going to be on today's show because I forgot to tease. We are doing some bold predictions today. Uh, my guy's Ryan Nibley. He's a wide receiver, 5'10", 170 out of Texas. He ran a 10.4100 meter, a 22.5200 meter, and a 7.860 meter. He also is in the 1,000-pound lifting club, which I find very interesting at 5'10", 170. He maxes out at 230 on bench, 365 on squat, and 415 on deadlift, and has a 75 wingspan, which is the 34th percentile, which apparently very relatively good for his height. He's also just extremely fun to watch. You put on his film, like he is a guy who can take it to the house every single time he touches the ball. Fights the ball sometimes when trying to catch it as a wide receiver, which is obviously not great, but overall he's a very intriguing player. I'm glad that he made the list. Uh, 
I talked with Matt a little bit about him before the freak list came out. So I'm glad to see that he finally made it on there. The SEC Media Days has been a big thing this week. We've seen a lot of stuff from Nick Saban. I saw some stuff today from Kirby Smart. And a lot of stuff driving this conversation is NIL. We've had a lot of discussions on here. Felix, very much pro player. Feels like every player should get $50 million. No regulations, no caps, no nothing. I feel like regulations are going to be put in place, though, here to kind of level out the playing field a little bit and and kind of maybe, I don't want to use the word cap, but put some kind of regulations here on what players can earn. Moxley, what are your thoughts on everything going on with the NIL right now? So I think that the best solution, and I think it will happen at some point, I don't know when, um, you know, I don't think Congress is really that motivated to act on it, but it's making the NIL law by state equal across the board. Some states have like really, really strict laws, and others have, you can do whatever you want. So, you know, I always go back to this example, like Nico Imalieva played in California, so he could receive NIL money while he was still in high school, you know, as part of, as part of his deal. The, um, a guy like Quinn Ewers, who on the other end of the spectrum, Texas doesn't allow you to get any NIL fund or any, any NIL money, um, you know, prior to you, you, I think, joining college or enrolling in the university. So you saw him declare early. It's really unbalanced right now. It's creating a lot of problems. So if we can standardize that and at least get the laws consistent across states, I think that's a really great step forward. And I don't know if we're going to ever see a cap on it because I don't think NIL necessarily changes the competitive balance of the sport. And in my opinion, like the same 15 teams are the same 15 teams are the same 15 teams. You know, like only 15 teams compete every year that I even have a chance to go to the playoff and have a chance to win. You know, I don't think it's really going to change that. So I'm fine. These dudes just get in their bag based on, you know, uh, funding from these programs and how much a team like Alabama brings in. Yeah. Uh, I just want to point out that uh, a lot of people point out the the dangers of NIL and I completely understand that. And I think there should be some sort of regulation. I think they're trying to hammer out some transfer portal and the timeframes and stuff like that as well. So if we can get some type of just baseline for the coaches and just something they have to work with. And if the university just has whatever certain amount of NIL, if we can get that streamlined across the board, I think it'll be more level play. Uh, but I want to bring up uh, something that Kirby Smart was talking about with uh, Josh Pate. Of course, I'm a Pate State guy. I watch uh, the late kick. Uh, so Kirby was talking about how sometimes NIL is good. So like there's a guy that has a paraplegic father and he's helped paying for his like medical bills. There's stuff like guys that can't afford, like their family can't afford to keep food on the table. It's helping them like, you know, have groceries and stuff like that. So like the NIL is not necessarily a bad thing. We just forget that sometimes it's helping these kids, uh, you know, get something they were then yeah i get it like something like uh a brock bowers is probably the highest paid tight end there at georgia but doesn't mean that you know that eric gibbler's not too far behind and can provide for his family and stuff like that for example so i think it's always a good thing i just think regulation needs to happen i do think the federal government probably should it's just a matter of when and where they're going to do that so it might be a little bit of time but sounds like we need to uh keep the wild west you know not a thing anymore so yeah, I, I do think regulations are coming in. And to Brandon's point, if you have not seen it on Twitter with the transfer portal, the new recommendation, not that it's happening yet, but the recommendation is December 5th to January 18th and then May 1st to May 15th for transfer windows, which I do think is smart. Again, they can they can get waivers. There is still technically kind of a transfer window already. I think this just kind of shortens it up a little bit, which I think it is smart. When it comes to NIL, I want to say it was Saban who said this. He may have actually said it in a, the Josh Pate interviews. I listened to this the other day. Is NIL isn't what it's supposed to be right now, though. It's A lot of it is pay for play, not name, image, and likeness. I do think when we get to these super conferences, which we'll talk about here in a second, I would not be surprised if if whatever they become, if they have some kind of commissioner, if it's just them, um, you know, controlling everything themselves as the football side that they put regulations in themselves instead of waiting for the state to do it. I brought this up before when we talked about how the NFL changed their rookie contracts. When rookies came to Sam Bradford at one point was the, I believe one of the highest paid NFL players is a rookie in the NFL, never throwing a pass. And then they changed that and capped what rookies can make. 
I would not be surprised if they do something like that. We've already kind of seen stuff like that with EA. EA with them obviously coming out with the new college football game. They have a tiered system and approach on how players will be paid going into the game. The better you are, the higher profile you are, the more you're going to make being in the game than some of the lower tiered guys. I think that is a realistic system that we will see happen once these super conferences come. But I do think that's what we're waiting on is for that, which is possibly coming in as early as 2023. I think once possibly the NCAA either steps in or takes a step back and we see these guys, the football programs, as we've talked about, I think last episode or two episodes ago, really taking control of this sport and possibly taking it to a semi-pro route that they'll put some kind of regulations in, still think these guys are going to get paid and they deserve to. Like Brandon said, if people look at that and say, oh, this kid's making $7 million, but I mean, if someone would pay me $7 million, I'd take it in a heartbeat. You can't, and nobody here, well, Felix would argue I would take a million because I've made that argument before. But regardless, nobody would argue not taking money for for proving yourself. And these guys have in some sort of way proven themselves to make that sort of money. And there's a lot of other stuff that goes on in the background for those kids, as, as, as Brandon mentioned, that they could use the money for. With super conferences coming, possibly, not even possibly, it's happening. A lot of people are talking about this paired with NIL. It, it, like college football is coming to an end. And... I see that argument, but I'm very curious, Brandon, you've been in the CFF game for a long time. Kind of what your view is with super conferences on there. I mean, there's a realistic shot. We see 16 teams in the Big Ten and the SEC by next year, right? If Texas and Oklahoma buy out their stuff, USC, UCLA coming over to the Big Ten. What are your thoughts on super conferences coming as soon as 2023? Yeah, so the CFB, as you know, it is not going to be around. So you see behind me, you see the Broncos colors. That's kind of the way that it's kind of going. It's more of an NFL type mold. It's a professional thing and we get it. And this is also another one I'll reference to good old Josh Pate that he said, you know, we're going to go into that type of situation, unfortunately, but it's going to still have some of it. So my, my take is as long as they don't separate the rivalry. So if Carolina, for example, is going to go to the Big Ten, which I hope they rename it because 16 teams in the Big Ten, that's ridiculous. You can't call the Big Ten or Big 12. That's dumb, right? So, But as long as you take Carolina, give us at least Duke so then we can at least have our basketball and stuff. I mean, it doesn't matter about football. We're going to smash them. I'm going to miss NC State if that's the case. I, I like playing them once a year. Uh, the whole Clemson going to SEC kind of thing situation, that would kind of suck to not have to play them and kind of prove our merit if we do have a good class and you know Carolina's doing well. You know, uh, you know, the chances of an ACC championship going to like a big 10, uh, you know, that's a much more challenging thing. But that's good for the for the state of football. And it also means a bigger pipeline of recruits. And that's what we're kind of looking at. Um, you know, Carolina does well in Virginia, North Carolina, things like that. But, you know, we don't do so hot. Maybe in California, we don't do so well. Maybe in the Midwest, that might change things by moving conferences. So I see the good and the bad, but the CFB, as we know it in the old heritage and the regional type situation, those times are coming to an end, unfortunately. It's not the end of college football. It's just a more of a professional plateau. So then the TV programs and stuff like that, they can you know, pretty much get behind it, put the money behind it. That's kind of where I see it going. Uh, you're going to you're gonna see it to where it's going to be like multiple conferences is going to turn into like an AFC, uh, NFC, and we're just going to see smaller divisions. And unfortunately, that's the way I see it going, but that's not a bad thing. Just keep the rivalries alive is pretty much all I'm asking them to do. So, Moxley, you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I think it's overblown how much impact it's going to have. Like I've maintained for a long time, and I just said it previously that, there's only a handful of teams that can win every year. It's like, what's really changing? Um, the NCAA is no longer going to be in charge, probably. I think that's the the big issue um, or big stark difference. I, I I don't think we're going to see a drastically different format. I think we're going to see a format that's more accessible to your average football fan and not college football fan. And I think that's going to be really impactful for growing the game outside of regional um, affiliations, and that's what you see right now, right? Like a guy, uh, an Auburn fan has doesn't care at all, really, about what's going on in the Big Ten. Now, with a you know, with a division, um, or like a let's say like a true D one that's only like sixty ish teams, they're gonna probably be a lot. It's could probably be a lot different. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I I really do. I think it's gonna grow awareness of college football, especially at the high level. And I, so I, I, I'm all for it. I think it's great. Um, 
I do worry that, you know, some of the rivalries are going to, um, like, I, I don't know if we're going to get Georgia, Georgia tech every year. Um, but you know, we'll see. I, I, I do think it's overall probably a good thing. Yeah, I, I agree with the, the nationally thing, I think, is what makes it big. Like, we we know college football is very much a regional sport, and I don't think that's going to change. Ohio State fans are still going to cheer for Ohio State. North Carolina is still going to care about North Carolina, regardless of where they go. They go to the SEC, the new Big Ten, wherever it is. They're still going to care, but we talked a little bit about this in one of our chats the other day. I think there's a realistic shot. We, we've... TV execs want more football. It's why we see them with the USFL, XFL, all these different things and, tr and trying to make it work. And why I think those don't work is because it's in the spring. And as much as people love football, I feel like especially our wives love it when husbands are only spending a certain amount of time watching football. And that's during the fall. College football is going to be on the same time as the NFL, and I think what will help nationally is if it does get to a semi-pro model, we could see games like Michigan versus Oregon on a Tuesday night when there is no NFL football. That's going to drive more and more people toward college football because it's going to – exactly. That's beautiful. If you get like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday college football slate, like that would be amazing. We would love it, as, and I think NFL fans would love it as well because it's going to be competent football. I agree with what both of you said on the rivalries. I And I think Josh Pate may have said this recently. Moving to like some kind of schedule where they allow like two out-of-conference games probably helps solve that, depending on where they all go. You're going to have to then pick and choose your rivalries. But I think if you do that, that's fine. Everybody's got probably really only two rivals. Like, every, you, you know, Ohio State has like five. They really only care about two. North Carolina may have five. They only really care about probably two. So it's really, yeah. So if you can get those two in every single year, I think that's what's going to matter. I agree with Moxley. Going to the 60 thing, like 60 teams, like I think that just makes it a little bit easier to digest. A lot of people you talk about who are college football fans, like sometimes like, yeah, like there's 160 teams, it feels like at times, obviously only 130, but it's like they feel there's so much going on. They can't keep up with it. I do think that will help kind of shorten it, make it a little bit better. I'm very curious to see what this does for the playoffs as well. Um, I, we can have that discussion a different day. Uh, there's some. There's a format that I'm really falling in love with, this 12-team format. I don't want them to go to 16 now with the 12-team, and we can discuss that at another time. But I, I really think this is going to be very good for football. Are you telling me that people don't enjoy Tuesday night matching the same way that they would enjoy Michigan versus Oregon on a Tuesday night? I love matching so much. Oh, so do I, but imagine <laughs> – Imagine if you could get multiple of those games, right? Because G5 will still be playing too. And you can't tell me that. So like, I'm just going to, we'll just dive a little bit deeper into the back end of this. Like, it seems like right now, what is it? Fox and ESPN are really like the two driving TV guys for, for college sports, right? You're telling me that if like the G5 made up its own thing, its own 60 teams, right? They had their own G5 playoff going, all this other stuff that like an NBC or CBS might not try and jump in on that. And then they're playing those games as well on it. Like if you could have a Michigan Oh, versus Oregon and whatever, like a, a, a Western Michigan versus Akron or something like a, like a Give great me Ohio, Tuesday. baby, let's go Ohio. Yeah, like a great other game, like two football games on on a Tuesday. Not like I would love it. And I'm sure a lot of other like football fans would love it. Our significant others probably wouldn't because then it's like football nonstop from August to January. But I, I would be all for it. And, and I really think that's where we're headed. We mentioned that super conferences are coming possibly in 2023. At least it's very likely. So this could be the last year we see college football in the landscape that it is now. So we're going to build around my, my theme for this week's show was the number five. We are five Saturdays left without football before we get to week zero of the college football season. For the first segment here, we are going to make five specific bold predictions for the 2022 season. I'm going to kick it off to you, Moxley, with your QB bold prediction for 2022. All right. Transfer quarterback Cameron Ward, who is now at Washington State from Incarnate Ward, joins his head coach, who is now the offensive coordinator for the Cougars. He leads the nation in passing yards in 2022. Here's how he gets there. Last year, if we take what they did at an FCS level and apply it to the FBS, they would have ranked fourth in pace, running 2.72 plays per minute. They attempted 49.8 passes per game, which would have ranked third in the country. Um, the top three actually is like would be really 
well differentiated. It was Western Kentucky and uh, Mississippi State last year. They were all 5.5 pass attempts over number four, who was Purdue. The teams that ranked top four in pass attempts in 2021 ranked first, fourth, fifth, and 11th in overall team passing yards. So he, in my opinion, he's a shoo-in for a top seven-ish passing yard season. I don't really trust this Washington State defense. I think they lost a couple key pieces, especially up front. I think we could see Cameron Ward just chuck it around the, the park every single every single week, get 300-plus yards on a really consistent basis, um, have a couple games that are approaching the 475-500. Everything is there. The offense is going to pass upwards of 50 times a game. And I think he's qual- I think he's a quality player too. It's like he can hit shots that maybe a guy like Will Rogers couldn't, which may differentiate him from um because I don't think Will Rogers could lead the country in, in passing because everything he does is like sub seven yards past the line of scrimmage. So I think Cameron Ward is someone who can do that. I'm really, really excited to see what this offense does. He leads the nation in passing. You know, I I don't hate that. Uh it's one, it's the Pac-12. We're looking at Mike Leach. We all remember Anthony Gordon, who wasn't anything, per, per, you know, spectacular, right? But he had a massive amount of passing yards on there as well. Uh, it's just a system. And then we're bringing on a whole FCS team. We've seen this blueprint before. It sounds very familiar to our friends at Western Kentucky. So it's definitely something that's going to possibly happen. And I don't doubt that he could possibly – top five, I, I feel it for sure. Top one, he's really going to have to push, I think, Texas Tech. Uh, and we'll talk about them a little bit later. But uh, that's going to probably be a showdown between Washington State and Texas Tech. Who's going to uh, – and, you know, maybe Western Kentucky still might stay in there with, with those. So uh, I, I definitely see that for sure, man. Yeah, and it's what makes that even more interesting is if you look at their schedule, it's really just Oregon and Utah. That, that may pose any kind of threat to stopping them defensively. So I think there's a realistic shot. He's, he's absolutely lighting it up every single week. Brandon, what is your QB bold prediction? So, the newly James Madison quarterback, the transfer from Colorado State, Mr. Todd Sinteo, I believe he's going to lead the SBC in passing guards over the likes of Grayson McCall and others as well. Not saying he'll be the number one guy that might be reserved for Mr. Cameron Ward, but I think Sinteo does blow, blow it up. Uh Main scenario, and I don't have cool stats like Mox, but I have a schedule here. And the schedule says, other than the likes of Appalachian State, Louisville, and I'll say Coastal Carolina is mainly the three that might hold them from there as well. It is very, very possible. Middle Tennessee, Arkansas State, Georgia Southern, Marshall. These are all teams that you could throw on. Marshall being a little bit tougher as far as the defense is concerned, I'd have to probably say. And Georgia Southern depending on which Georgia Southern that you get, but like Norfolk State, are they really going to stop him? No. Is Middle Tennessee going to do it? No, it's going to be a shootout. So I think Todd Santeo is going to wind out beaten because I think Coastal Carolina probably has a little bit tougher schedule because Grayson McCall is a bit more proven. Of course, when a university does well, they get a little bit of a harder schedule. And JMU is not supposed to be this team that just shows up out of nowhere and starts winning, but it's very possible. And even if they don't win, uh, shootouts will occur in the SBC. It's not too far removed from the, the MAC conference. And I think we're going to have some good production. He's got a great wide receiver in Thornton. Um, so I think Todd Sante is going to lead the SBC in passing this year. So, Hey, not just Thornton. He's also got Dante Wright, right? I'm not wrong. Dante Wright. So I love me some Dante Wright. So I'm, I'm all in on that. I'm all in on it. Uh, mine, uh, I don't know. No, you don't like Dante Wright, Mox? Is it because he's small? You don't like those short kings? You're you're muted. Dante Wright's still at Colorado State. Oh, that's Our right. He transferred to... from oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's JMU. Yeah, he's listen. Yeah. Terrence Green, the second leading wide receiver there, transferred from Monmouth. Put some respect on his name. Yeah. All right. My quarterback bold prediction is Hendon Hooker is going to break multiple Tennessee football records on his way to a possible first round NFL draft selection. So right now he is sitting tied with 12 passing touchdowns, uh, consecutive passing touchdowns, which is third on the list. He needs seven straight games to get up to 19, which breaks the record held by Heath Schuler, which he has 18. That should put it at the game against UT Martin. What makes that difficult is they do play Pitt in week two, Florida in week four, and then Alabama in week six. Bama, obviously the big one. 
if he can get that touchdown there, I think he's going to get at least one touchdown in every single game leading up to that. Breaks the consecutive touchdown record there. I also think he can break the single game passing touchdowns. He's had five twice in his career, um, which sits second right now. He needs seven to tie Eric Ainge, obviously eight to break it. I think he can get there with some of the weaker teams they have on their schedule. I also think he can break the single-season passing touchdown. Last year, he finished with 31, which left him tied for third overall in Tennessee's history. Peyton Manning holds the record with 36. I think we could easily see Hooker get up to 38 with the way we're projecting Tennessee's offense to look this year, which would have him overtake Manning as well. And I don't think this actually counts because... He was at Virginia Tech ahead of time, but this would actually put him with more passing touchdowns in his career than Peyton Manning as well with 91. Peyton Manning had 89 at Tennessee. I don't think, though, because he was Virginia Tech for, I believe it was 20-something of those. He would not overtake that record, which I kind of forgot about when I first did this. But regardless, still takes over multiple passing touchdown records this year on route to possibly a first-round selection in the NFL draft. RB bold predictions. I'll go first here. I've got Nick Singleton leading the Big Ten in rushing. Might seem a little bit bold with Braylon Allen there. As we've talked about on here, his 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 schedule is, is weak. So Braylon Allen might really kind of make me look bad on this one, and it would be, you know, apropos for the way I talk about Braylon Allen at times. But Franklin typically runs the ball 50, 55% of times in neutral situations and has a success rate of 45%. I do think with them trying to compete this year in the Big Ten and having to rely on Sean Clifford for most of that, with Singleton's ability, he could easily finish the top rusher in the Big Ten, especially once Penn State loses a game or two and they have to go to Drew Alar. I think they will rely even heavier on Nick Singleton. I just don't believe anybody else in that backfield has the talent to really keep him back, I do think we will see him take over the starting job, much like Travion Henderson did by no later than week two, and I think he will run wild against some of these defenses. I don't think Penn State has that difficult of a schedule, and I don't think one of the better defenses they're going to face this year is Ohio State. I don't think that their run defense is going to be that much improved compared to what it was last year. Brandon, what is your RB Bold prediction? All right, so I'm going to keep it homer for just one time, and then we'll talk about everything else. But recently, uh, they had the list of the uh, the Doak Walker Award, which is the running back award that uh, you have a watch list. And my my guy, British Brooks, had made the list on there for the watch list. I think that he will be one of the finalists that stays on there as well. North Carolina is, uh, is slowly becoming an RBU. So we had Ty Chandler, who went 1,000 yards last year. We had both Javante and Michael Carter the years before do 1,000. Uh, and I still see that British Brooks is the clear lead back. He's the one at the media days. He's the one that was well ahead of spring camp. They even told, you know, told us in the, you know, whatever on the, that he was going to be the guy. So, I mean, like he's the, the quintessential starter. Do I think Petaway and others will, you know, get into some of those touches? Yes. But British Brooks has been proven to be uh, pretty much a, a, a cardio type of machine. He just stays out there for a lot of it. It's hard for him uh, to really get banged up. He stays healthy and he takes care of his body. So I think he stays one of the finalists. I don't think that he, uh, am I saying he's going to win it? No, but do I think that he's got a fair shot to to win it and be in the finalist this year and being with the likes of like a Henderson or a Bijan, something like that? Yeah, I think he does. Cause I think he is easily a top 20 uh, CFF producer and he could probably easily be, um, you know, 15 if he really pushes it, if uh Petaway takes a little bit longer to develop. So uh, that's, that's my hot take at running back. I don't hate that. I, yeah. I kind of like the British books call. I've been, I've been too slow to come around on him. So that that's a really good call. Um, terrified of the Nick Singleton call though. Cause I think Penn State's line is so bad. So- a little sketch it, up there, yeah. You've been watching workout videos, haven't you, Matt? But, but it's bold. I, I appreciate it. It's bold. I like it. Austin would have said Travion Henderson or Braylon Allen lead the. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Austin would have 100% gone Braylon, Braylon Allen or B. John Robinson win the Doak, whatever, the Doak Walker Award or whatever. It's like, oh, right. okay, thanks, Austin. Yeah, thank, yeah, thanks for pointing that out to us. So I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the boldness. Um, My bold take is that Dwayne McBride, running back out of uh, UAB, leads the nation in rushing yardage. So over his last 10 games, he averaged 120 rushing yards, 1,400-yard pace over 12. Um, that would be top 
10 in any year, but f- top five per game. So if he stays healthy, a couple things have to break right. Last year, they had UGA on their schedule. Not having UGA is probably a really big win for them. Um, they do play LSU, and I actually think LSU would pose a lot softer matchup for Dwayne McBride. Like, I think Dwayne McBride is a player who can run against um, SEC defenses. Not like crazy post 200 yards, but a guy who could post like 100 yards a game. Like Dwayne McBride is a very talented running back. Um, so that's his toughest matchup. Everything else is outside the top 60 in rushing success rate. Uh, so I I really think that he has the path to get there. He posted 1,371 rushing yards in 13 games last year. Like This isn't coming out of nowhere. I just think that he has the talent and the ability to get there. I think his biggest contender is probably Lou Nichols. Lou Nichols lost two really strong offensive linemen. Um, they lost their, head, their offensive line coach. They lost their offensive coordinator. I think he takes a little bit of a step back. Rashid Ali takes a little bit of a step back just because he was like way above expectation and efficiency. I, I think Dwayne McBride is in the perfect position to potentially lead the country in rushing yards. And that would be really exciting because I think he's a really talented back. Man, I do not hate that at all. I, I secretly love Dwayne McBride. He's one of those sleeper guys. I try to keep hush hush so I can grab him and redraft and things like that and best ball. So, and uh, just like I call, uh, you know, uh, Good old Nate, the master of IPAs, I call Chris Moxley the king of uh, the G5. So, and the man knows what he's talking about. So, I uh, I secretly love that a lot. So, uh, I definitely agree. Uh, Dwayne McBride, especially with the the harder defenses out of his way, has a good shot to lead the nation. So, all right, Mox, give us your wide receiver bold prediction. So I'm gonna stick in the Sun Belt, like uh, like we've been doing a little bit. You know, Brandon had had a uh, jam you i'm gonna go to coastal carolina wide receiver transfer sam pickney came in from uh georgia state has over a thousand yards this year for the chanticleers javon highlight leaves cameron brown leaves isaiah likely leaves that vacates 77 percent of receiving yardage production in this offense they're going to throw for between 3,000 and probably 3,300 3,500 yards McCall is incredibly efficient. This offense is built to sustain big plays. I think Pickney is a quality receiver. Who else are they going to throw to? Xavier Xavier Gravett is the only returning player who is not a running back with over 95 yards. That's it. No receiver or tight end has over 95 yards that is returning. This is a very weak room based on expectations. Um, based on what we saw last year, I think Pinkney can step in, assume the wide receiver one role immediately, and post 900 to 1,000 yards. I think he goes over that 1,000-yard mark. I think that he's going to be the primary option. This is an offense that is traditionally one of the most explosive in the country. G- give me Sam Pinkney. I, I love it. Yep. I completely agree. He's the alpha. I do do shout-out to Andre Coleman, my big fish small oh, pond. I think – He's he's got the uh, he's got the coastal Carolina shine. He he's definitely fits in that mold of playing on the other uh, outside. So be on the lookout for DeAndre Coleman. But Sam Pickney comes from a Georgia State offense that, uh, you know, they tried their best when when they could. But at the same time, Coastal Carolina is known uh, having Javon Highly personally in Dynasty last year. It was a lifesaver for a lot of it. Got me closer to the championship than what I could have been. Uh, so I definitely love this pick for sure. So definitely Pickney for a thousand. I think it's a lock. All right, what is your wide receiver bowl prediction, Brandon? Sure. So a lot of people tout the transfer of Jacob Cowling to the Arizona Wildcats. And uh, if you want to look at the CFF guide, you see a lot of Arizona guys showing up on the list there. Uh, shout out to Nate again. Uh, but my favorite is T-Mac, Tetiora McMillan. Uh, I think he leads in both yards and touchdowns for the Arizona Wildcats as a freshman. I know I'm the freshman guy, right? But the same guy, but the same time, look at what's available and look at, you know, Barry Hill leaving uh, Delore is there. I still think that, uh, you know, the, the backup might actually overtake Delore here probably midseason. It's very possible. He's a little bit of a smaller quarterback, but he's got a gun. So I like it. So you might see a lot of freshmen plus Jacob Cowling. I just think Cowling is not going to become the alpha when it's all said and done that T-Mac is going to take over this team and get it done. So. I love that. That's your guy. I was. That's I love Noah Fafita. I love McMillan and I love Noah Fafita. So I love that one thousand percent. I'd be all here for it. I would, again, as as Felix knows, 
I, I keep a lot of receipts. I keep a lot of receipts, and I've got some on Tatora McMillan. I'd, I'd love to see that. I, I think Jacob Cowling is a really good wide receiver as well, but just to see McMillan kind of ball out because there's a lot of people who are, I won't say negative, but didn't necessarily like him no, as much. I love Cowling, and his time at UTEP is awesome. Yeah. I'm just saying that – I'm just saying McMillan's the alphas. No, that's what I'm getting at. All right, so my bold prediction here is Luther Burden ends up oh, – I've I messed up my thing here. Now I don't know where it went. Leads or breaks the single season receiving record for the Missouri Tigers. I wanted to go the single this season? season. This season. Receiving. Like yards or receptions? Raw, like yards, yards. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. I wanted yeah. to go. I wanted to Hotness. go freshman overall. Like the, the highest receiving yards is freshman. But when I looked and saw who did that, that's not happening. Like, there's just no way that's happening. But I do think that he can lead uh, in receiving yards as a freshman. I know this is going to be extremely hard. We still don't even know who their quarterback is going to be. It doesn't matter. He's but the used. single season receiving yard record for the Missouri Tigers is 1,781 set by Denario Alexander. I think that he can break that this year being the Alpha, in my opinion, in this offense, I have hopes that it's going to be Sam Horn. And if it is Sam Horn, I think he's going to chuck the ball all over the place. I'm all in on Eli Drinkowitz, Luther Burden, and the Missouri Tigers offense. Sam Horn's probably not playing baseball, so here we go. I mean, don't get me wrong. My dynasty takes are – that makes me very happy to hear. But is it going to happen? That's a hot, hot take, my friend, a hot, hot take. Look, Moxie's cooling off. (laughs) <laughs> I'm all, hey, I, I figured, you know what? Austin's not here. Felix isn't here to say some outrageous stuff. So I figured I've got to make up for some of it somewhere. So um, I'm going all in on these. All right, so my team prediction now, we also are doing a bold team prediction. And I've said this before, so it's not going to be a major one. But I do think that Texas wins the Big 12 behind Steve Sarkeesian, Quinn Ewers, and Jennifer Lopez. If you guys did not know, this has been proven, fact check. Every time Jennifer Lopez has gotten married this millennium, Texas has had an 11-win season in the same year. Texas, if they win 11 games this year, they're winning the Big 12, and they're going to likely go to the playoffs. And Quinnifer, baby, Jennifer Lopez, Quinn coming together. Quinnifer are taking the Texas Longhorns to the playoffs and winning the Big 12. Analytics, baby. Analytics. If it's proven, it's proven. We can't hate on it, right? Oh, man, that's crazy. All right, Brandon, what have you got? What is your bold team prediction? Sure. So you heard it from a, a guy that wears a Hawaiian shirt up above me in a different podcast. But I think NC State's going to win the ACC this year. And I'm a Carolina guy. So when you hear it from me, that's how I do it. And you're going to hear about a certain quarterback here pretty soon as well. NC State's got the tangibles. they got a nicer schedule coming up. Yeah, I get it. It's a little tougher. But they, look at the talent that they have as well. Look at the emergence that they have. Uh, they have, you know, both. Top wide receivers coming back. I love Porter Rooks as a sneaky good pick in CFF this year as the emerging uh, wide receiver this year. They have a stud of a quarterback who's uh, elevated his game year after year to the point to where we'll talk about some Debbie stuff here in just a second about him. They just have all the pieces. And then I just found out that their tight end is dual eligible on fan tracks, that he's running back and tight end. And that made me happy. So I grabbed him really late in a couple of drafts. And uh, honestly, if they use him anywhere, like Jalen Samuels, I'm going to be extremely happy. Uh, But at the same time, like NC State has just got what it takes this year. I think they're going to beat Pitt. I think they're going to beat Clemson out. I think Clemson's still trying to try to figure it out this year. And while they're figuring it out, NC State's going to sneak around into the ACC championship and take it home. So... That's coming from a from a Tar Heel guy, so take that as you will. But NC State's winning the ACC championship this year. Yeah, I like it. I like that call. I know Moxley made the same call as well. I, I think it's a it's a really good call as well. Moxley, what do you got? Can't I can't argue with that one. Cannot argue with that one. And I like the Trent Penix call, by the way. He's a really interesting guy. Yes, I think he could be in the Jalen Samuels role. Yeah, Corey Smith really called him out on uh, one of the podcast episodes, and I wrote his name down. Then I found he had dual eligibility, so I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of his. Mine is James Madison goes bowling year one in the FBS. I, you know, their win total at Vegas is six to six and a half, depending on where you look. So it isn't like super bold, but I think they get there. Um, Looking at their schedule, I think Middle Tennessee State, toss up. Norfolk State, W. App State, loss. Texas State, W. Arkansas State, W. Georgia Southern, W. Marshall, loss. Louisville, loss. Old Dominion, probably W, but they'll say TBD. Uh, Georgia State, 
TBD, Coastal, loss. Five wins. They need to win one of their toss-up games. I think they get there. I really do. I think that they go bowling year one. And that's really impressive for, you know, James Bassett team who hasn't played any sort of FBS football. I mean, I'm really excited to see what they uh, they can do. And I, I like Tassanteo. So I like that call you had earlier, Brandon. I think that he can be good enough in this conference. Um, So there we go. We got Hannah logging in saying that we'll, we'll She's a specialist. PSU. She knows. I agree. I have them power ranked above them, but I have it close enough where I have to give it a toss up. But I, I, I'm excited for the Dukes, man. I think they could really outperform ex- expectations. I don't think people are expecting them to go bowling. So when we see them in the Tax Slayer automotive um, bell, bowl, you know, yeah, yeah. Tone bowl, then we'll, uh, I think people will be excited. But I really like the way this program is trending. Um, and they played a really weak conference in a really weak division. I also think it's the element of surprise, too. A lot of people just don't know what James Madison brings to the table, and I think that's perfect to sneak in there. Uh, also, shout out to uh, Nick at CFB Winning Edge. He actually has them on the over to actually make it to the bowl as well. So I think Moxie's onto something. And I think that uh, if you're going to do a bet this year, I think JMU's the one to get it and get the uh, the over on the actual win total already. And, uh, you know, once you get the bowl game, you can decide if they're going to win that or not. But getting there, I think it makes it happen for sure. So I'm definitely on the board with JMU this year. All right, so continuing with our theme of the number five, we are going with five players, coaches, or teams that will have the biggest effect on the 2022 college football season. Moxley, kick it off. So I had USC as the uh, A team. I think the overall impact with Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, determining how that offense is going to look, what that means for USC being back, big storyline. I think it's going to play a big role in the conversations that we're having overall. They also get Utah, and I think Utah is a very sneaky college um, playoff team. I think that, you know, the path is there for them. So they could play spoiler, or they could be a really good team that contends for the Final Four. They also play Notre Dame, and I think Notre Dame is in a very similar position to them. They can play spoiler there, or it's a must-win for them to, you know, have playoff hopes. I think USC controls a lot of their own destiny, and I really think they control the destiny of others. If everything stays um, how we expect it to, you know, high-scoring team with a subpar defense, I think we could see a couple really interesting matchups, especially to end the season. I think Notre Dame's their last game on the schedule, or it's their second-to-last game. That's probably going to have playoff implications if we, you know, if, if Vegas is right about expectations for both those teams. Go ahead and give us your full five. We'll we'll just go straight down the list and then. Oh, you want all five? Shoot. Yeah, just give us all All five. All right. Number two, the hiring of Jim Knowles. I think this is the most impactful coordinator hiring across the entire country because Ohio State's defense was pretty bad last year, especially for expectations. If he can turn this team around and give them a defense that's even top 20, it's a clear number two. They're clear number two to Alabama, but it's just two at the top. I think they are almost there. We just need to see him turn that team into what we think it could be because they have a lot of physical talent. They just haven't played up to their potential. I like the entire offense, and I also like the transfer they brought in Tanner McAllister. Uh, I think that he's a really good addition from (laughs) – he's a really good addition from Oklahoma State and and Knowles, and I think that he understands – system so i'm really excited for that and i think that means ohio state can i I have them ranked second um i think it's a very deserved rank third is the sec quarterbacks i think sec east quarterbacks specifically because i think they can all play spoiler for uga and some of them get bam on their schedule what does anthony richardson do do we think that he can knock off uga he was kind of close last year then he kind of fell apart will levis does he take a step and and prove that he can um you know, operate at a high level against Georgia defense? I don't know. Spencer Rattler, same boat. Can he knock off UGA? Then you get Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker is a little bit more proven. He gets UGA and he gets Alabama. I think SEC quarterbacks can play spoiler for two of the top three teams in the country. And I think it's really interesting if one of them or both of them take a step forward. Four, Jimbo Fisher. Based on my power rankings, Texas A&M, is the only team that I think can honestly knock off Alabama. A single loss 
And even if they go to the um, SC Championship in Atlanta, if they lose that, I don't think a two-loss Alabama team's getting it. So they better make sure that they beat Texas A&M or they need to go probably up against Georgia if we, you know, assume that they're going back and win again. I think Texas A&M is another spoiler. They beat them last year. I think they could do it again. I do think Alabama's a much better team. But again, I think Texas A&M isn't that far off behind them. Five, Clemson. They return the nation's either best or second best defense, depending on, you know, what you value. They have elite players on this team. Brian Breeks, Miles Murphy, Trenton, Trenton Simpson, um, Tyler Davis, Xavier Thomas. Like, this defense is loaded. Can the offense match? They don't have a very tough schedule. They have two teams that I think that are going to give them trouble. NC State, which we've talked about. We love the Wolfpack. And Notre Dame. Can they do enough on defense to control those offenses? That's the question. If they do, I think they're back in the playoff. I think they're a top five team in the country currently. We just need to see the offense be competent. A, a top 60 offense is good enough for this team. That's how bad. That's how badass the defense is. Those are my five. All right, Brandon, what have you got? All right, so let's start off with Texas Tech, the Zach Kelly effect. So big fan of Kitley. Does he move up in competition to a different conference, and does that still translate from his success from the FCS to the FBS? I think it does. I think Texas Tech is very fascinating. We all hear about Miles Price. I'm on the Bradley train, honestly. Uh, I like the deeper picks there at Texas Tech. I think they're going to smash, and I think that whoever is at the helm at quarterback of that position is going to light up you know, the CFB this year. So I think Kitley does translate, but that is the question that I'm looking to see. I think Texas Tech is very polarizing. My second one, Matt's not going to probably want to hear this one, but it's Brian Hartline, the, uh, the coordinator there at Ohio State. Uh, the dude has proven year after year. Uh, he has a track record. The guy comes from Ohio State. He goes to the NFL. He does extremely well. I've had Hartline on some old fantasy teams. That's how good the guy is, right? Um, he's been a proven track record. So he knows what it takes and the blueprint to get it done. Year after year, we see all these great Ohio State wide receivers come through. It's a matter of time before someone's offered him more money to leave Ohio State and become a head coach somewhere. I know Matt doesn't want to hear that, but at the same time, I think that could be done. And that's something that uh, – good job to, to Felix to draft Bradley, by the way. Um, but uh, I think that's that's a thing that we should look into. If this if this class – and let's face it, JSN, we got Harrison, we got Emeka, we got all the guys in there, If you know – even the, some of the freshmen, if they show out like five strong again, it's it's hard for him not to have an offer that's on the table that's just too good for him to pass up. So I, I'm thinking that Brian Hartline might go into head coach territory. And if he goes into the MAC, it's even better. And that'll be a chef's kiss. Uh, number three is the Big Ten RBs are going to smash. So we talked about a little bit as well. Henderson, Singleton, uh, Hole and Hyman, the duo there at Northwestern. Braylon Allen, Mo Ibrahim coming back as well. Uh, Shout out to freshman Zach Evans. I think he's going to do well as well. The transfer of Kobe Lewis to Purdue as well. There's just a ton of great teams out of the Big Ten that are just going to ground and pound, and that's what they're known for. So I'm excited to see which one is going to win that race. Uh, you know, Matt's, Matt's hot take of Singleton at the top of the food chain there. That's that's interesting. So we're going to see if that pans out. Uh, my bet, if I had to pick right now, I'm going to probably say Braylon Allen more than likely. But we'll see how it goes as the season progresses. Another one I want to bring up, number four, that is Casey Thompson. I think that he could be the most impactful transfer going to Nebraska. There's a new chance at life at starting, starting quarterback. I love Trey Palmer. He's in town as well. Yeah, the coach, Scott Frost, you might hear him here in just a second. He's in a win now or get fired situation. So that's a, that's a thing where it's like if you're, your butt's hot on the seat, you got to uh, you got to get it done to go along with it as well. Uh, Thompson is also a dual-threat quarterback, so you don't miss much from Adrian Martinez. And Casey Thompson is also a more accurate passer than Adrian Martinez. We also see the difference in TDs versus interceptions a lot more scaled in the right direction when it comes to that. So I think Casey Thompson could be probably one of the most impactful transfers in the portal coming in. And I think that paves the way for other quarterbacks, the way they're going with it. Uh, lastly, number five is the Texas QB position. So all eyes are on Quinn Ewers. If he succeeds or flops, either way, it doesn't matter. It's going to make a world of difference on how the transfer portal for these quarterbacks pan out. So Casey Thompson might be the positive. Quinn Ewers could also be the 
icing all the cake, or it could be the downfall of the, the portal and thinking twice and moving all in type situation. If he fails, then we could see Arch sooner than later. If not, we're going to see Arch sit because I don't think there's a true competition like people think. I think Quinn, if he does well, he's going to be the starting quarterback no matter what. So I think that's a polarizing position to watch. Um, and just, you know, the pressure that Quinn Ewers has as a guy that hasn't really played too many, like really, really good snaps in the, uh, in the college football, I think that's a big deal. So those are my five going into the season. I, I love the Brian Hartline call. I, I mentioned that recently, and I, it was I was lambasted by uh, one Felix Sharp because he said that the dude's not even a a coordinator. How's he going to get a head coaching job? But that's just you know I agree with you though. I, I think he's he's very good at what he does. Uh, we definitely have a lot of simpatico here tonight with all the Texas talk. And uh, you just mentioned Casey Thompson. Even though I am not a massive fan of Casey Thompson as a quarterback, I do think him being such a good game manager. And him not turning the ball over, holding on to it as long as he does, or as long as Adrian Martinez did, is going to get Scott Frost and Nebraska a realistic shot at being undefeated come week five against Oklahoma. And I think they pull the upset. I think they beat Oklahoma. They played him very tough last year as well. I think they pull off the upset, which then again goes to what I mentioned earlier, that gives Texas a chance to win the Big 12. Stunning OU fans everywhere. I also think that Frost and Nebraska finally go bowling, which then unfortunately probably keeps him in his job at Nebraska, which I feel like some fans probably don't want him to keep. But I think if he does that, he's keeping his job at Nebraska. My second one, this was mentioned earlier, and I know Austin has mentioned this as well, but I do think Utah wins the Pac-12. We've been waiting since Washington back in 2016 to see a Pac-12 team make the CFB uh, playoff again. Utah has some tough games on their schedule, but I think with what their defense could be and what Cam Rising showed last year, I think there's a realistic shot. They go undefeated second to last game of the season. They have Oregon, in my opinion, that's the toughest matchup. And I think will be the game that decides who ends up going to the Pac-12 championship. If they win that game, I think they end up going undefeated. And that's, it has to lead them to a playoff berth being an undefeated Pac-12 team. My third is Houston. For the second year in a row, I think we have a G5 team challenge for a playoff spot. Last year, Houston's one loss before the championship game was against Texas Tech in week two. They get them again this year, but at home, and I think that they beat them. If they do that, Houston should roll through the rest of their schedule and then play likely Cincinnati again in the AAC championship game, which I expect them to then win. Well, I don't think Houston's going to have the sexiness behind their name like Cincinnati did last year due to the recent years of success that Luke Fickle and Cincinnati had. I think that Houston will be in the conversation and eventually miss out and be ranked as like the fifth or sixth team and then end up getting a very high-end bowl game. But I think they will be in the conversation for a playoff spot all year long. The Crypto Ballers. I think Mario Cristobal has been, and I don't think he's been on a tear on the recruiting trail this year. I think there's a realistic shot. Miami and Mario go 10 and two this year and challenge for the ACC title missing out on tiebreakers. I don't think that they'll get there, but in the end, I think he ends up with the best record out of the recent high end coaches that have moved. That includes Lincoln Riley, uh, Venables, Dan Lanning, and then Mario Cristobal. I think he ends up with the best record out of all those guys setting up Miami for some future success. I do just for you, Brandon, have them losing to North Carolina as one of their two losses. Just, just, you know, I wanted to placate to the other host here. He, I do think they lose to North Carolina. My last one, Will Anderson, I think wins the Heisman. They're not going to give it back to Bryce Young again this year. We saw the dominant season Will Anderson had last year. And I do think Heisman voters will keep in mind that they had made an egregious error by not even just in, not even inviting him to the ceremony last year. I expect him to go out there and have another really good season because I think that offense could take a small step back in the pieces that they've lost. And I do think that the only other person that really has a chance to beat him is again, they will not give it to young again is Stroud. I think Ohio state is going to lose a game this year. And if they lose a game, it will likely be because Stroud struggles which point I think that Will Anderson gets it because the other thing that will hurt Stroud is JSN's success on the field and Travion Henderson as well. I think we'll pull some of the votes away from Stroud, giving us one other defensive Heisman winner for probably the next three decades because we know it is an a offensive award. All right, so last but not least, that took a little bit longer than I thought, so we're going to do a quick game here really quick. So Brandon and Moxley have no idea what's coming to them. All I told them was we're going to play a game, 
So I'm going to give you guys some hints about a player, and I want to see if you guys can guess what the player is. Now, all these players have one thing in common, but I don't want to say what it is just yet because I feel like that will give some of it away. So this first one is a quarterback. He won the Heisman, the Walter Camp, the Archie Griffin, and the AP Player of the Year while also winning the national championship. He was a first overall pick. Uh, where'd it go? He had the best passing efficiency. I feel like this is going to give it away because of the year in 2013 with a 184.8. And he played in, I'll give you the conference, the ACC. And he gets Jameis. It is Jameis. Yeah, see, I see you guys get some of them. And I'll tell you what the connection is between all of these here in a minute. Next one. I think this one might be a little bit more difficult. Oh, well, maybe not. Holds the record for single game passing yards, or is tied for the lead with seven hundred and thirty-four. Any guesses? Is it Case Keenum? It is not Case Keenum. <sighs> or he may be tied with him, but it's not the quarterback I'm bringing up. All right. Okay. Has eleven thousand two hundred and fifty-two career passing yards in college, paired with a ninety-three to twenty-nine touchdown to interception ratio. He was also a top ten NFL pick. There's one more clue. But I feel like that'll give it away. So I want to see if you guys know who it is yet. Patrick Mahomes? It is Patrick Mahomes. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And the other clue was he was a baseball player. So I thought I felt like that might have given okay. it away. And if you guys figure out what the connection is before we finish this whole list, let me know. But there's one connection between all these guys. And it's it's all, it re, it's referenced throughout the show the entire time. Brett, I just said the name. Really? Number two quarterback in his class. <laughs> I had it highlighted. I just completely skipped right over my notes. In his first season as a starter, he took his team 12-0, and but could not play in a bowl game due to an, a postseason ban. Uh, do you want me to answer this? Because since yeah. you gave it away. Or yeah. 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 It, go for it's it. Bra- is, it, is it Braxton Miller? It is Braxton Miller, yeah. Okay. I won't read the name this time. Has the longest pass in his school's history with 96 yards as a sophomore. Now, this is a little bit deeper of a dive here, and there wasn't a lot I could pull on this player, so I apologize. He did play basketball in college. He holds his school records for offensive plays, total yards per play, passing efficiency, and yards per attempt. He played one year with a future Hall of Fame wide receiver and was a top five NFL pick. I will give you the wide receiver if you guys can't guess the player. It is not very recent. I will say that. What year are we talking? Oh, I did. I don't know. A long time ago. What's the wide receiver? Marvin Harrison. Senior? Uh, Yes, yes. Marvin Harrison, senior. Yeah, yeah. That's not Peyton. He didn't play back. Dante Culpepper? No, but close. I don't remember where where Harrison went to college. Syracuse. It's Donovan McNabb. Bradford Harrison went to Syracuse? Yeah, I know. I had no idea Oh, either. I got my got... year. <laughs> yeah. Say it, okay. say it, Box. I don't know. It's Donovan McNabb. Yeah. Oh, yeah. McNabb. You're okay, right. yeah. yeah. All right. So I'm just going to I'm gonna give away the theme here. It's players who wore the number five. We're sticking with – and Tristan got it. Good job, Tristan. Uh-huh. It's, it's keeping with some of the best players that ever wore the number five jersey. All right, so – this player won the Paul Hornig Award and the AP College Football Player of the Year. He broke Barry Sanders' all-purpose yards record as a sophomore with 3,864 yards and finished second in Heisman voting that year. Holy cow. So it's a rusher. Tavon Austin. It is not Tavon Austin. Is it D'Angelo Williams? It is not. If I give you the last hint, I know you guys will get it. Percy Harvin. It is not Percy Harvin. Is it all right? Give me, Reggie, give me the Reggie last hint. It is not Reggie Bush. The ra- the last hint, he was one of the very first players to ever skip a bowl game. Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey. Okay. Yeah. All right. Next once, up. Once you give me that, I I, I got Yeah, it. that's why I, I figured I tried to give like one really <laughs> big clue that kind of will help give it away. So next, and this is a again an, a deep dive here on these next two players. School retired his number and jersey. He held a record for most rushing yards in a single game with 406 until 2014, which was then broken in actually two subsequent weeks with Melvin Gordon and Samaje P. Ryan, which which kind of shocked me. I did not realize Samaje P. Ryan was that good. He finished his career. 
No, no, yeah, he he was actually broke. Yeah, <laughs> he finished with five thousand three hundred eighty-seven rushing yards and fifty-six rushing touchdowns, whilst being the second guy in a committee of the first two years of his career. Darren McFadden. And he was a top five. No, not Darren McFadden. He was a top oh. five NFL pick. Uh, uh, I'm blanking. I'm sorry. Not uh, five. Yeah, he was a top five NFL pick. I think he was actually number five. May have been number four. I'm not sure. Is this Zeke? It is not Zeke. You farther back than that. It's closer to Darren McFadden than Zeke. Well, I guess okay. they were kind of close in time, but Ohio State it is, is no, he is not. He played okay. in the. Ooh, I think they were still. I think they were in the Big Twelve at that point. That's a good question. Oh wow. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Ladanian Tomlinson. Oh, oh man, uh, He's the, he was the go in CFF fourth, too. My God, fourth of Was he fourth? Yeah, yeah I he was high. high. I think he was. Yeah. All right, they were not. This the, one is DC. DC was in the Mountain West. They weren't in the Big. Yeah, that's what I said. I couldn't. I didn't think they yeah. were in the Big Twelve at that point. So I don't think so. This player only started 14 of his 39 games but finished 10th in college history with 6,541 all-purpose yards. He's a Heisman winner, Doak Walker Award winner, Walter Camp Award winner, possibly the greatest player to ever wear the number five jersey. Reggie oh, Bush? It is Reggie Bush, yeah. Reggie? Oh, I figured okay. the Heisman vote thing would give it away. The second he yeah. also, which I did not know this, Second highest total Heisman o- uh, vote award getter uh, right behind actually OJ Simpson, which was again a USA player. <laughs> <clears throat> Last but not least, two more. This player, Walter Camp Award winner, two time Doak Walker Award winner, back to back Heisman finalist as well, holds his team's most rushing yards in a single uh, season record. And he did so as a freshman, rushed for the fifth best single season yards in the SEC with a dislocated toe as a sophomore. He was actually the first sophomore to ever win the Doak Walker Award winner at the time. He was also a top five pick. Herschel Walker? Um, Is it Barry? It is not Barry. So I'll just say, you guessed this player earlier, Mox. Darren Fadden? It is Darren McFadden. It is McFadden. I knew you were doing number fives. Yeah. So this is the last one. And I feel like this one, I will be honest. I remember watching this player. I did not realize he was this good early on in his career in college. Two-time Blitnikoff winner. As a freshman, he set multiple single-season records with single-season receptions, most by his team, and most touchdowns in the Big 12. He is the best receiving season by a freshman ever with 134 receptions, 1,962 yards, and 22 touchdowns. He finished third in Heisman voting. He followed up that year with another phenomenal season of 97 catches for 1,165 yards and 19 touchdowns. And I can read down the like three-page list of the accolades this player won. This was at a his, uh, Wow. Two, yeah, his first two years. It's is it uh, Justin Blackman? It is not Justin Blackman. Is it Michael Crabtree? It is Michael Crabtree. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, those are my two guesses. I, I forgot that he like I knew I remember watching him and he was good. Yeah, interesting guy. Like I did Tristan not realize. Yeah. I forgot that he was that good. So great job. So you guys got most of them. I, I don't think uh, you only really missed out on that. Nah, but it was, <laughs> I, I went by the best players to wear the number five jersey that I could find. It took a while to get those quarterbacks too, by the way. Like it was, there's not a lot of quarterbacks that wear the number five. All right. So before we get out of here, Kirk Herbstreet is waiting, but Brandon wanted to drop a special announcement on you guys really quick before we get out of here. Yep. So we're bringing a brand new podcast to you guys. Of course, it's called the Bell and C2C podcast. So if you listen to the CFFU podcast last season, that is gone. And we're bringing in a brand new uh, betting and DFS. I'll be joined by Chris K and Ethan Sowers. You saw those announcements there on Twitter. They're the newest uh, guys to come up to the C2C squad. So I've recruited them and us three. We are going to be doing this podcast starting with week zero because we're degenerates and that's how we like to do things. So be looking in week zero as we do everything as well. We're going to be doing things like 
campus picks with prize picks like you heard from last year. We're going to be doing anything with uh, DraftKings, FanDuel. We're going to be doing all of that as well as far as picking your favorite players and some sneaky picks that you can win tournaments with or cash play to go on with it. We're also going to be diving into the DK Sportsbook and picking our favorite spreads and over and under. So you're going to get a brand new uh, podcast from C2C, and it's going to have everything to do with CFB, DFS. So be excited. Uh, like I said, drops in week zero, so it's coming real soon. So I'm excited, guys. Uh, we're going to put those new guys to work for sure. I can't wait either. I'm I'm excited to win some money based clearly off your guys' hard work. Like, I will not do anything but listen to you guys. What day are you guys dropping this on? Do you guys have a set date so that everybody can know when to look out for it? Yeah, so we'll be recording a little bit early in the week. We're going to you know, wait and see how the uh, the websites, when they drop their information, along with it. it is going to replace the Future Freshman Podcast time frame for at least the season. So it's going to drop Friday mornings. So you'll be able to see that, that we can get ahead of stuff. If there is a Friday game or, you know, your Saturday slates, which we all like to play, we're trying to get that out as soon as possible for you as well. Um, as time moves on, you start getting some action and stuff like that. You might see some little bit extra ones here and there, maybe not. Uh, it just kind of depends on when the guys are available. Uh, but we are going to be having guests. So we'll be having Chris Moxley. Uh, you know, Matt, if you want to take a stab at it, you're more than welcome to hop on as well. Uh, and we're going to be having more guests that you saw on the Future Freshman Podcast, the previous season, a few podcasts. So be expecting those guys to hop on as a support member. And our goal is to win you guys some money. We want to move that bankroll up. Also, want to give a shout out to uh, Price Picks. Please use the code C2C. Uh, that helps the website completely. If you go ahead and sign up now, you can go ahead and get your account set up. And you can get a magic deposit up to 100 bucks. So why not do that? Help the website and help yourself and get ready as we uh, try to double that and triple that money for you guys this season. So check out. Yeah, I cannot wait. It's it's one of the things I love doing, but I don't fully understand or have as much knowledge as you guys do in that space. Uh, as Moxley can attest to some of my horrible picks on the Saturday morning shows uh, that I probably I lost people money on. So I was not going to say anything. I was, I, and I appreciate I that. I will call my I was back. <laughs> no, I trashed it. Luckily, I was one in charge of keeping that, and that okay. that, that sheet mysteriously disappeared i don't know what happened to right go back overs made money yeah 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 not great but i'm glad that we can have you and and the group doing that every friday it's going to be a lot of fun i can't wait to check that out everybody thank you so much i'm sorry kirk we were really about to get you on but then brandon wanted to make that announcement it is very important to our listeners and viewers i promise you felix will be back next week and i know he is adamant about finally getting you on the show so we appreciate everybody tuning in that is Chris Moxley. That is Brandon Sanders. I am Matt Bruning. We will catch you guys again next week. Side of the field. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25. And Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State National Champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown! Touchdown, Alabama! Devontae Smith, touchdown, Alabama! And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years, their 17th overall. Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter and Bell caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro, and Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill. Just in front of his end zone, has a man out there, it is Ranger, and he's off to the races, nobody will catch him! <laughs> 93 yards for the freshman! He made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry, he'll add to that! Goodbye, touchdown Ohio State. From 52 yards.